For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the TTC Life Raft. I am delighted to be back here talking to you and I'm absolutely thrilled to see how many people have been listening and sharing and rating and subscribing to the first episode. It's just been such a wonderful, wonderful thing to see and I'm so grateful for everyone who's got behind the Think What Not To Say campaign and who's been sharing the video and the selfies and talking about it so passionately, I know that this is going to change things. And the more that I work on it and the more that I ask people to share and get people to talk about it, the better we are going to make people's experience of going through fertility struggles or loss. Um, I am not going to, I'm not going to let it go. It's something that I'm going to just keep working on. It, it doesn't have an end goal. It's just going to be something which is constantly going to be a passion of mine to educate people and to help people support their friends. And, and there are so many um, ways that this campaign can actually change the experience of people going through that and also the experience of their friends and family and colleagues and the professionals who are actually working with them too. It's such an important topic to talk about. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, because you haven't listened to the first episode, then do go and have a listen or go and have a look at my Instagram feed or go and check out the website. This is alicerose.com where you can read all about it and look at the video and get 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 involved, get engaged and um, share it with anybody who you know who might be able to um, help us get the word out there. I did an interview on BBC Sussex and I'm, I'm so grateful to them for, for having me on, which was wonderful. And I'm looking for more media coverage as well so that we can start talking more and more about this. Now, I'm going to share a couple of voice messages that two of my friends sent me because they're brilliant and they really help to sum up why we've got to change stuff. And the first one is from a very dear friend of mine called Kate. She's an actress. She lives in Canada and she tells this story brilliantly. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play it. So this, my colleague that like I've known for years, but we're not really like close friends or anything, but we were just hanging out, just talking, and 
I've just started a new job and then I was telling her about some acting stuff I've got going and um and la 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 and she and saying how how busy I am with work and she goes so when are you gonna have kids you know work isn't everything Kate and you know I initially like back in the day I would have gone like, oh, yeah, well, if it happens, it happens. Or I would have deflected and said, well, my sister just had a kid, so we're focusing on that. Or I would, I don't know, I would have deflected somehow. Or when are you having another? Something like that. And instead, I went, no, work isn't everything. I've actually had a miscarriage and at least two chemical pregnancies recently. So, and I have a meeting with a fertility doctor next week. So I'm perfectly aware that work isn't everything. And she went (laughs) bright red and then like immediately pale white. And she's like, I'm so sorry. Oh, I had no idea. I feel so bad. And then it all of a sudden became about her and how bad she felt for feeling like a tool for saying that. And then I started to feel sorry for her. And then I had to check myself and be like, no, this is precisely the problem. Like, let's educate each other, you know, let's, let's talk about it. So I, and instead of being like, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. I said, it's okay, you weren't to know. It's important to have these conversations in a compassionate and understanding way. And we ended up having a really nice conversation about it. Um, but I quickly put her back in her box. That was my first initial instinct was to like slap her on the face. And then I was like, no, maybe let's stop around the face and then and then like make her feel better again. I love this so much. I love the way she let herself respond truthfully, but at the same time actually managed to start a dialogue. And I bet you that that lady will not be telling anyone else that work isn't everything anytime soon. So thank you so much, Kate, my lovely friend, for sending me that and sharing that with me. And it's a really good example of maybe how you can actually respond to somebody if they trigger you like that. The next one I'm going to share with you is from my wonderful friend who got married recently. So congratulations to her once again. Um, The reason I'm talking about her getting married is because she sent this voice message to me about the campaign on her wedding day morning, which first of all just made me laugh, but also made me realise that this campaign has got under people's skin. You know, people are waking up thinking about this on their wedding day. And yes, okay, that might be because she's my really good friend. But it also means that it's something which brings back memories of things that happened years ago, which actually just shouldn't happen. So here's Emma's think what not to say story. I know you're going to think this is completely bonkers that I'm sending this on my wedding day. But I've been awake for ages and I've been meaning to send you um, examples for your campaign. So I'm going to do it now. (laughs) Number one is when I was very early on in my fertility journey and I had a a cyst removal and he removed some endometriosis when I came back and I was under general and I woke up from general and I'd had blood tests and um, he then came into the room as soon as I woke up I was so like keen to know whether the blood test was like were okay so second I could speak I was like is everything okay and he was like well you're probably going to need IVF and that was it and that's all he said. And then he and then he saw my panic. He was like, just relax. You just need to relax now. You've just woken up from an anesthetic. And then he left the room. And I was like, 
spinning. So that was terrible. And then when I was on the wait list for IVF with the NHS and then finally got an appointment and I knew so much because I'd had so many scans and I knew everything by then, I went and um, I knew that I was about to ovulate and she scanned me and she saw what was obviously the ovulation but she didn't know what it was because she didn't know what she was doing. And she said, oh, I think you've got polycystic ovaries because she thought it was a big cyst. And I was like, no, I'm about to ovulate. No, no, I think, I think you're, you, you've got polycystic ovaries. Mm, what? And then because I had something she couldn't see, she went, oh, you might be pregnant. Um, I think we need to do a pregnancy test. I was like, what? And then obviously, even though I knew it wasn't possible, I got my hopes up, did a pregnancy test. She came in, didn't even look at me and said, no, you're not pregnant. And then just carried on with the meeting. Now, I remember what it feels like to come round from a general anaesthetic all too well. And I feel like lead. I feel like I've woken up after a million years. I feel groggy. I feel confused. I don't feel myself. I've also been on the other end of somebody telling me, a doctor telling me, that I'm probably going to need IVF. And when I was told that, I felt totally overwhelmed. I felt scared. I felt absolutely horrified at what I was about to have to go through, not just the IVF, but just the concept that, okay, this isn't going to happen naturally for me. I, I uh, is it ever going to happen? What am I going to, how, how am I going to, do? so many things ran through my head when I was given that information. So when I think about how I felt when I came round from a general and when I think about how I felt when I got that information, I can't imagine how my poor friend must have felt getting that information when she was in that state. And it's just this massive lack of awareness from the doctor who told her when she was coming around from a general. It's just this disconnect between the information that, that they were giving and the the person who is hearing it, their emotional state and actually what that means to them. It's mind boggling to me that that happens. And if you haven't already, you must go and listen as well to Big Fat Negatives podcast because Gabby tells a brilliant story which is quite similar to this and she's hysterically funny as well. So go and have a listen to the episode that I'm on with them, um, Big Fat Negatives podcast. It's really quite incredible that this kind of information is given when somebody is not in the correct mental state to be able to cope with that information. It's difficult to cope with at the best of times. So let's keep talking. Let's keep sharing. Doctors, nurses, anyone working in patient facing roles listening to this, please, please do share with your clinic. Um, we really, really want to change this. Now, I'm going to stop talking about TWNTS now and share with you a conversation that I had with the brilliant, the gorgeous, the amazing Anna Whitehouse, who is otherwise known as Mother Pucker. Now, you can probably tell I'm a little bit of a fangirl. Um, and I was quite nervous when I had this chat with Anna because I think she is amazing. And I had to really call on my own inner confidence, to be honest, when I went to speak to her because I really wanted to do a good job and I really wanted to have a really good conversation. 
If you don't follow Anna already, go and check her out on Instagram, Mother Pucker. She's doing some incredibly powerful things with her Flexibil campaign and shares snippets of her life in hysterically funny stories and posts and as well as being truthful and authentic. So I was so excited that Anna gave me her time to talk about her experience with loss and how she coped with that. So here's Anna and me. Hi, Anna. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Um, so we just had a bit of a preamble before I've hit record um, about the things that um, I would love to speak to you about. I mean, there's kind of about a million things I'd like to talk to you about, but we have a, a small window um, of opportunity. So first of all, how are you today? <laughs> About seven out of ten, <laughs> which is really good, I think, for a parent. You're looking very fresh. <laughs> that, I mean, that is that is that is good makeup. <laughs> of joining the dots. You have been through a horrible time before you had your two kids. Can you can you talk about a little bit about what you went through? Before? Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. I didn't mean that to sound so jippy. Yeah, of course. Let's talk about the horrible time. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the misconception. While it was a horrible time, the way I kind of have managed to navigate it in my mind was that it was something almost I not had to go through, but went through to get to where I am now. And I don't mean now as in having children, but I feel like a different person now to who I was before we miscarried. So we had we had in total five miscarriages. So we were on the kind of recurrent miscarriage uh, category. The words probably that I remember mostly was hopelessness. I remember feeling quite numb at times, just not in, even sure what to feel. Is this sadness? Is this grief? Uh, is this something I should be feeling or should I just be snapping out of it and moving on? Which is kind of the medical feeling you get. It's kind of like, it happens to everyone. So, um, right, just, you know, try again in a bit and you'll be, you'll be fine. Off you go. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of, we... When we first started uh, trying to conceive, which sounds a bit weird when you say that, when we first started doing doing the sex, when the boys when the boys tr allowed to get you pregnant, which is a really big U-turn for them. I mean, I remember us joking about it before we started trying for children. And Matt was like, it's just such a strange process of being able to get a girl pregnant. I've spent my whole life not getting girls pregnant. And I think we were so lighthearted about it all. It was very much like get married have children and it'll just be something that happened and um it wasn't something that happened uh we had uh three miscarriages before my daughter may was born and two miscarriages before my daughter eve was born it was uh, i think there were times where i thought it was going to break us up because not because we had any huge arguments um but because we just slowly stopped speaking to each other we slowly started just edging away from each other feeling like I felt a failure, that my bits weren't working. He felt a failure because he didn't know what to say or what to do, and I felt perhaps he wasn't mourning in the way that I was. And there was just a huge disconnect. And that's all I really remember, to answer your question, is hopelessness, feeling relatively numb and not knowing how to react and feeling a disconnect with not just my husband but everybody around me. I didn't really want to talk about it, but I did. I couldn't. So you're in this no man's land of grieving for someone when you're being told it was a bunch of cells that didn't work out. Do you think that there is a problem with the language that's used? I think like anything, it's just 
really inconsistent. Um, I had the most incredible woman hold on to me when we first miscarried just held me and I don't know whether any nurse is supposed to have that level of contact with a patient but um, she was incredible and uh, I will never forget that and so the second time that we miscarried and I was sat there waiting for the heartbeat praying for the heartbeat you know you're just willing that life to be and um, the look on the obstetrician's face was just oh shucks <laughs> it didn't work out and that's all I got so the contrast between a bosomy hug and um yes uh I'm really sorry it's bad news and that was it and then off on your merry way go home wait for the fetus to pass and I think that that was what I found hard was that it was really inconsistent and I think there needs to be consistency ideally towards a bit more understanding that this is grief I think that's the bit that was lacking for me it's not just a bundle of cells it's um it's feeling of um it's a person it's a human it's somebody you've had hopes and dreams for and I think that's the bit that isn't factored in in the medical um way of dealing with this and in a way you can kind of understand their situation because they go through this so often and they see it so much but then therein lies the problem in that they're forgetting they've got the disconnect between the people that they're caring for and the situation that they see so much. They have to, we have to help them remember what that person is going through at that point is grief, as you say. And they, I, I think that there needs to be more protocols in place or at least training given so that, that you don't get that, oh, shucks, didn't work out yeah. thing. It just, it, there should be that level of consistency and I think it is common to an obstetrician, of course, it's going to be to um, anyone within uh, this realm. Uh, it is going to be common, of course. And I think there's, um, I, I'm not expecting the bosomy hug, um, but I think something in the terminology. Uh, I think just waiting for the fetus to pass, asking questions like, what do I do when it passes? Can I, you know, like just having to ask, do I flush it down the toilet? Like, what do I do? And I think there has to just be an understanding while it's common for you as an obstetrician to come across day in, day out, it's not common for that individual going through it. Even someone who has had eight miscarriages, as I know, uh, not me, but uh, somebody who spoke to me recently, eight miscarriages still doesn't, you don't get used to that. <laughs> it's not something that just because it's common doesn't make it okay, doesn't rationalise it, doesn't make it better. And I think there's something, it doesn't have to be much, but exactly what you said, just a change in the terminology and how you deal with somebody who's miscarried or struggling to conceive. Uh, just the terminology around it, it needs to edge away from clinical to being a bit more understanding that this is grief and this mm -hmm. is sadness and um, deep-rooted anxiety in many levels, on many levels. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like, oh, God... Um, the NHS is letting us down kind of thing or doctors are letting us down. Um, I think it's a symptom of how stressed doctors are as well, you know, mm. that they can't, you know, once you actually do start empathising with someone, I've had this, when the woman gave me that bosomy hug, I wasn't okay to just walk out the door, you know, it, and she has maybe 50 other people she has to see that day, you know, she can't treat everybody with that level of, empathy because otherwise there would just be people breaking all over the place so I do understand there's got to be a line mm -hmm. um, mm. 
but I think uh, just that consistency. I think if you kind of know you're going in and it's going to be fairly clinical, you're prepared. But when you're not prepared and you're expecting somebody to treat you as if you're grieving and as if you've lost a child, and they don't, that's really hard to understand mm. and process. You found that you also had a disconnect with your husband when you went through all of that. How did you get that back on track? How did what 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 are your kind of what were your coping mechanisms when you went through it? Did you find that you had things that you used that or did you just have to go through each process and find your way to the other side? What I wish we had done from the start, which is something I think we had to learn, was uh that actually the only family we needed was each other. And that's something that is very important, I think, to have in your mind, that this sense of family being, I don't know, the archaic view of 2.4 kids or a kid or a baby in the house, a white picket fence, whatever it was um, that coined that sort of happy American family vision. Family can just be yourself. Family can be you, completely comfortable in your own skin, happy with your life choice. It doesn't need children to be part of that equation and I think we felt in the first few times uh, before um, we had our first daughter when we miscarried that uh, that was it we weren't going to have a family we weren't going to be a family when actually we already were a family and the third time we miscarried when I think mentally I'd given up I felt I don't need a child to qualify what we have I just need to hold on to what I have right now because it's slipping through my fingers and that's something that uh, I think is I wish any, you know, for anybody going through this is to find those moments where it's a tiny cup of tea every morning, even if they don't want a cup of tea, something that isn't necessarily are you OK, because that opens up the floodgates, <laughs> yeah. but just small points of contact uh, throughout the day, reaffirming that your family is very much here now, however it looks, and that a child isn't needed to qualify that. I love that answer because it's all about being present. And I talk about that a lot on my Instagram and, and it's finding the ways to do that. And if it's looking for that, that it's the points of contact and the cup of tea and the finding little ways to tap into gratitude, really, for what you've got yeah. right now. And it kind of, I always kind of feel like I need to clarify that with a kind of, you're not taking away from how awful this is. No. You're not taking away from the pain Matt said, I think, in a post that he wrote about miscarriage from a father's perspective, which really summarises exactly this, is don't let trying stop you from living. And mm -hmm. I think that was the point when I actually realised we're not living, we're existing. We're existing in this fog of grief and actually we're missing out on each other. And you know, exactly what you said, you have to live in the present and it, it doesn't have to be big gestures. It doesn't have to be big holidays. It just has to be contact, whether that's physical, talking, or just a cup of tea. Let's talk a little bit about Flex Appeal. How did you find the self-confidence and the, um, I want to say chutzpah, <laughs> <laughs> to put on your Flex Appeal t-shirt and go and do your flash? I really want to, I'm quite interested in how, how, where did that kind of come from? How did you find that confidence? Did you always have it? Is it like innate or uh, is it cultivated or? No, no I, and I think there's, that's the thing. It's easy to mix up confidence with frustration. And um, I've never been particularly confident, but when I'm frustrated with something, I'm like a dog to a bone. 
when I feel something's broken or not missing or missing or uh, you know could be done better uh, then that's where I get that drive from but that's not confidence I lack confidence and I'm trying to <laughs> trying to sort of just brush over that by continuing on a path because I know it's right um, and that's why I, that's why I studied law I think back in the day is because I have a strong sense of what's wrong and right and that's that basic um, uh, I'm terrible at so many other things but my antenna for what's right and what's wrong is quite strong I think that's my lack of confidence I think it is um so that's it it's just a drive and um I think when you take yourself out of it I'm not doing it for myself I'm doing it for my kids just because I just thought I just don't know whether I can build them up like my parents did to me, uh, to work hard in you know, primary school, to work hard, secondary school, to do GCSE, study, study, continue. You can do anything, you can be anything to have somebody shut the door in their face and say, ah, no, you've had a baby, so um, sorry, you're not coming back. You're either going to be made redundant or we're going to give you a lower role or we're just going to ease you out of the office through inflexibility and you know that comes down to a very simple practical points such as nurseries close at 6 p.m and if your boss says no you can't leave at five what are you going to do and a lot of people end up paying to go to work because part-time doesn't cover nursery fees so there's this whole vicious cycle which I don't want my daughters to be embroiled in uh, when they come into the workforce so that's where it comes from but it's definitely yeah it's not confidence it's frustration it's hacked offness <laughs> So when you got your new gig on Heart, yeah, did you feel really nervous when you? Yeah, I still feel you, really okay. nervous. It's just a, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel. I, I think we all have this, and I think people say it's a female issue. I don't think it is. I think it's a people issue. Yeah, I think you're always disbelieving in someone saying you can do this, and you're like, really? Yeah. Can I? Uh, I, I don't know many people who go into every single new experience going, I am the best, <laughs> I win at life. I mean, there are a few, <laughs> but I don't know that many, men or women. I think it's natural to have an element of restraint, because like scepticism, um, concern, worry, fear of not being good enough for that role. And I think hopefully that maybe makes you better for that role, because... Um, I don't think ballsing on in there going, I am the best and I will win uh, is is probably good for you or anyone else. I suppose I'm asking you about confidence because I'm interested in how, I mean, when we went through our fertility journey, I definitely found myself at rock bottom, maybe about halfway through. I just was at rock bottom. My confidence was rock bottom. Everything was kind of knock, 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 down, down, down. And then, and then I found lots of ways to kind of get myself out of that. So... I wondered if you felt that you had, because I know you were saying that you feel that you went through your experience and now you're who you are now. So do you think that it impacted who you are now um, in terms of your dog with the bone <laughs> frustration or did, how did it, how did it change you? I think it made me more aware of yeah it made me more aware of myself uh how I handle with feeling quite isolated like I'm a pack animal I need my team around me I like people and uh I really distanced myself from people in that period um and that was very much me but I didn't know how to communicate 
I couldn't be positive. I didn't really want to talk too openly and be negative. And I felt very alone despite being told it was very common. And um, when I started sort of writing some words, I remember writing uh, this piece without any intention of putting it up uh, about, uh, it's called Miscarriage of Injustice. And that was three years ago because I'd had, I pitched a few features to um, a women's magazine about uh, like what happens when you have a child, like when, what happens when you go into that period of having children, not just pregnancy and, you know, the right weaning spoons and all of this, which is how I saw parent media, but actually what are the things you go through? And um, they, a uh, few magazines said, no, we're not really interested in parenting articles because we really just go up to wedding dresses. And I just remember thinking, well, I don't just go up to wedding dresses. And I, I know a lot of people who didn't even get married. So how how are we suddenly going from being covered by the media to then hopping across this divide into Mother and Baby magazine? And that was really coming back to confidence. What helped me was putting pen to paper or, you know, anything I think where you can channel your thoughts, whether it's your photography, simply colouring in, like anything where you're just connecting your body with something, an output. That was really what helped for me. And I wrote that post with no intention of doing anything with it. And then, you know, when you have those moments, you're like, oh, fuck it. (laughs) I'm just going to put it out. And I had, I think, 62 followers at the time. It was um, way, way back and um it was the first time actually miscarriage had really been spoken about mm-hmm. and then when stylist magazine saw how much interaction it got mm-hmm. they then said oh all right then come on in <laughs> that's amazing and so I, it, went, it, was, it went around the other way yeah, and yeah. now i get a lot of people saying can you talk to me about parenting i'm like but you didn't want me five years ago mm-hmm. so it was really the mother pucker fucker moment was <laughs> why a why suddenly do we drop off the face of a cliff the minute we think about getting pregnant or thinking about children, adoption, whatever that next step looks like? Why are we not catered for in the media? And why suddenly do we need to be sort of talking about um, nappies and weaning and the practicalities of it when there is so much more to it? I think that's an amazing point and I think that there's something I hope I think that the conversations are changing thanks to people like you and other people who are sharing and finally talking about this part of our lives and it's hopefully going to be a bit of a game changer because when we went into it I I really didn't I felt the same I didn't feel like I was catered for at all I didn't find like I was relevant for what we were going through in mainstream media I couldn't really see any and I, d- I didn't see anything that was going to tell me that it wasn't going to be completely horrendous. And a lot of it was completely horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> but there were parts that weren't. And there are things that I found, you know, as I've said, that um, that helped. So the fact that it's being talked about and being m- covered by mainstream publications and now on podcasts and, you know, it just is going to, I really hope, going to help people who are coming into it right now and for the future and for our daughters and um for future generations really you doing this podcast is what I would have wanted to listen to five years ago when I felt really alone and I think it's having those a lot of people uh get very frustrated with social media that it's the end it's terrible but I think perhaps the obsessive side of it is an issue but don't forget that social element 
And that's the bit that uh, I will fight to the death to protect because there are strangers, not dodgy ones on the internet, strangers on the internet who have lifted me out of a dark place. And they've done it sometimes without even realising. And I think that is powerful. It's hugely powerful being able to amplify voices, being given a space, somebody saying, I'm feeling really down, and a friend saying, I haven't been through that, but I know that Alice has or Anna has, go and check out this feature, or your husband's not speaking to you, Anna's husband has written a piece on this. And I think a lot of people have got in touch saying, I've read a lot of your stuff on miscarriage, but it's simply that those very few words from your husband, don't let trying stop you from living. And that's something that we couldn't even say to each other. It took us three years to get to. So to try and help other couples, if you're going through it, if they can just hear those words and start holding hands a bit more (laughs) and stop taking out the anger, the upset, the frustration, the grief on each other, I think that is the best place to start. And it's certainly not going to be the end, but that is a starting point because... uh, Sometimes you just don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. And I think that's how this sort of, yeah, this sort of podcast and talking about it definitely helps you put those feet one at a time in front of the other. Thank you so much, no, Anna. thank you. Thank you, thank you. Massive thanks to Anna for talking to me, for being so open and for sharing such powerful words. I think Anna's advice about finding those points of contact, whether it's just a cup of tea, to keep that relationship moving and keep that kind of connection going at some level, even if it's not having an in-depth chat, um, is such wonderful advice. And I, I absolutely love those words at the end as well. Don't let trying stop you from living. Don't let trying stop you from living. I mean, I just love that. I think we should all get that designed on some kind of brilliant artwork and put it up on our walls. That's actually a really, really powerful message, which sums up what I talk about a lot of the time, because your life is now, your life is right here, right now. And now I'm going to share a way for you to root yourself in that present moment. And one of those ways to do that, so your life raft tool for this episode, is gratitude. And gratitude is one of the most powerful ways that we can actually flip how we are feeling on any given moment. And I'm going to invite you to join me with sharing my gratitude hashtag, which is TTC look for beauty. And beauty can be in the smallest things. And it doesn't have to be a stunning landscape. It doesn't need to be a beautiful sky. It can be gratitude for something just tiny, like a really hot cup of tea, or like the fact that you made your train, or that maybe you had a really nice breakfast. Whatever it is, just take a moment and feel gratitude for that. And it also can be something really simple, like being grateful for your smartphone that you're listening to this podcast on, being grateful for the fact that you have the ability to get that phone and listen. Every single day, I either write down or share with my husband three things that I'm grateful for for that day. And quite often it's the same thing day in and day out, but I just 
want to register that and I just want to talk about it and and actively look for it because it changes how I feel and I am not immune (laughs) to anger or frustration I am not a mindful zen guru I have always had a temper I've always had fire and part of my way of coping with that side of my personality is to actually think about the stuff that I'm lucky enough to have and it genuinely changes how you feel on a day-to-day basis so three things is the minimum feel free to go way above that but every single day just try either writing down or sharing on Instagram or Facebook or wherever with your hashtag TTC look for beauty and and have a look at my highlights reel for all of the examples of my gratitude shares that I've done since I started doing this um, a few months ago and I'll tell you actually where this hashtag came from is that we had a run of really rubbishy things happened at the start of the year just things just kept happening and it felt like we were sort of on the wrong channel it just felt like everything just kept going wrong (laughs) and and I just kind of had enough of just feeling pissed off with it and I just decided that I was going to start using this this hashtag to actively share things that I was really grateful for and just in a really practical sense if you're actually looking for something that makes you happy you are going to feel better you are going to feel more content you're going to feel more in control because you're looking for things to make you feel better you're not looking for things that are making you feel shit you're making yourself feel more in control by going for that positive vibe instead of the shit one and that's really basic it's to me it's common sense it's just common sense because if you start actively looking for things that you you are happy about then you're going to start feeling better. And that is my life raft tool for this week. So give it a go. Let me know as ever how you get on. Oh, and I must tell you quickly about my event, which is this Saturday, the 6th of October in Bristol and in the UK. If you're anywhere near Bristol in the UK, this Saturday, the 6th of October, I will be running my Take Ownership event, which is all about trying to help you feel safer and more centred and more in control when most of the time you feel like you have zero control over this experience which you're going through and I really wanted to run this event back in August I did the first one in London and we had such a wonderful evening it sold out and there was this wonderful atmosphere full of people who had decided that they were going to take a stand and make something positive happen for them on that day and they came and there's something so powerful about coming to an event full of people who understand what you're going through and actively coming because you want to take more control you want to feel better and that is why I decided to start running events because I thought I can do what I can do on Instagram but It's the tip of the iceberg. It really is the tip of the iceberg. I need to talk to people face to face. I want to meet them. I want to practice the techniques that I'm going to share with them. And it's so much easier when you're actually in a a room with people doing it all together. 
actually coming is such a powerful signal to your your heart and your soul that you're going to own this experience and you're going to start to change how you deal with it. So if you are anywhere near Bristol in the UK, Saturday the 6th, this Saturday the 6th of October from 11 o'clock, I will make it the most positive, uplifting and useful morning for you and we'll practice tools together and we'll talk and we'll workshop and I will tell you my story and I will tell you my story in detail because I had such a transformative experience when I went through my first fertility struggle that I I just felt so compelled to share it with you. Also, the brilliant Melanie Brown nutritionist has donated a couple's consultation to one lucky winner and I've had a consult with Mel before and she is so fantastic. One of the best fertility specialist nutritionists in the country. So I am so honoured that she's gifted this amazing prize and there's also goodie bags with um, brilliant uh, donations from lovely companies who have who have gifted samples to me so massive massive thanks to everybody who has contributed and if you can come i would seriously love to meet you i get such a buzz from meeting people face to face and um i'm I'm really friendly i'm really i'm really nice um so so come come and meet me um tickets are a tenner and the event is two hours from 11 o'clock in the morning that's it that's my spiel so please let me know how you are i absolutely love hearing from you i hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the ttc life raft please do rate and review if you liked it share 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 and keep sharing your think what not to say stuff as well this is so exciting i just love this community thank you so much for your lessons and thank you so much for subscribing and thank you thank you thank you for being here have a great week Thank you.